you. We had a great Sunday last Sunday. I uh, wasn't able to be here. I just listened in on the radio. You know, the, the microphones go out over a certain frequency on the FM band, and I just sat in my house next door and tuned in and listened. I uh, was suffering from some flu, and uh, I hope I'm not going to be interrupted by any coughing fits today, but uh, it's great to be with God's people. It's great to gather together and, uh, and fellowship together in the Lord. And it's great for me to have a chance to make up for some of my procrastinating. I, uh, I have something I forgot to put in the bulletin, I forgot to announce, but now you're all gathered together, I'll just announce it to you. Uh, Sunday school classes coming up. Yeah, we have Sunday school classes, uh, couples class in the fellowship hall, and in the pastor's study, the senior pastor's study, uh, I'll be leading a group in there studying the reliability of the New Testament, going through a series of topics, looking at the New Testament. Is it really a reliable set of documents? Uh, are there lost Gospels that we ought to be reading? You know, uh, is the, has the text been preserved? Some questions like this. The women's Bible study, which has been meeting in the parsonage, will not be uh, continuing on at this time. And... Uh, so we'll have those two classes for adults as well as the Cambodians in my office. So there, with those commercial breaks out of the way, uh, could you open in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, when we're continuing on in the sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And today we're coming to the parable of the persistent widow. And I will read the text. It's, it's Luke chapter 18 and the first eight verses. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is stirring up prayer. He tells a parable in order to teach his disciples to pray without giving up. Let's open by coming to God in prayer and asking him to be with us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came down in mercy, in grace, in love for us, that you thought of us. And now as you've risen to the Father's right hand in glory, you pray for us, you remember us, your heart goes out toward us. And so, Lord, we pray that you will take these words, that you will write them on our hearts today, that you will remind us to pray, that you will stir us up to be faithful and to be strong in faith, and to be strong in prayer. Through Jesus Christ, our great Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. So, 
Jesus wants to stir up prayer, to stir up his people to pray. And he is telling this story, this parable, its place here in the Gospel of Luke, right after chapter 17. Yeah, 18 comes after 17. Right after the series of teachings Jesus gives about his kingdom, about the delay, about the time when he is away, when his disciples are going to have to be faithful and wait, when he is not going to be seen, he's not going to be visible. It's going to be a time, as Jeremy was, was preaching, out, uh, preaching about last week, a time when there is doubt because it's, it's a time like the time of Noah, when Noah had to persevere, when he had to continue on building this ark, even though there was no water visible, nothing seemed to be happening. People were going on marrying and giving in marriage. Everything seemed to be going on as it had always been going. And Noah had to persevere. It's a time like the time when Lot lived in Sodom. And it seemed like the evil things that people were doing would never be answered with justice from heaven and that they would continue on, and that those who served God and served, waited for his kingdom would continue to wait, and nothing would ever change. And so it's a time of waiting. And so Jesus is teaching that there's a time of waiting that is to come, that he is going to go to the Father, he's going to go and be made king. Later on, he'll come back for those who are trusting him and those who are waiting for him. And so there's a time when people will need to be faithful, when people will need to persevere, when people will need to believe what they don't see, a time when the bridegroom is taken away and we're waiting. So this is, this is the time that we live in today. This is the age that we live in now. We're waiting for Christ's return. And uh, it will be soon, but oh, how long it is. And so Jesus tells this story about the widow and how she perseveres. And the, the point of the story is that we're like the widow. That just as the widow has this desperate need and she has to bring it to a judge, so we have a desperate need and we need to bring it to God. And just as, uh, as the judge finally responded to the perseverance of the widow and the persistence and the faithfulness of the widow in continuing to present her case before the judge, so God responds to our perseverance, our persistence in prayer. And so we're like the widow, and so we need to do as the widow did. But we're also not like the widow, and God is not like the judge. And so that, I think, is the main point of the parable, is that there is a difference between us and this widow, and there is a difference between our God and this judge. And so it is that difference that I want us to look at in order to see how Jesus will stir us up to pray. There's a difference because our case is more urgent than this widow's case. This widow has an urgent situation, an urgent need. We're not told what it is. We, don't, we can use our own imagination. Maybe there's someone who's taking away her property. Maybe there's a relative of hers who's in danger. Uh, perhaps a, a son who would provide for her. There's some situation that uh, she is in great peril. A widow who, who, who is a, a person naturally in need, naturally needing someone to defend her and help her. 
And uh, so she's coming to the judge. Her case is urgent, but our case is much more urgent because the case that we are called to bring before God is much more weighty. Hers involves matters of her life of a few years on this world. But we come before God with matters of eternity. Our eternal lives, our eternal destiny, ages that will roll on long past the time that this world has evaporated into dust. And these are weighty matters, the concerns of the eternity of our families, of our loved ones, and of millions around us. These are the things that we come before God. These are the concerns that we bear, that we need to press, the case that that is so urgent that we need to press. It's weighty because it's an eternal case, an eternal matter. And it's a desperate case because we face terrible adversaries. This woman has some adversary and she's looking for justice. We have adversaries who stand opposed to us, who stand against us. Perhaps uh, someone was trying to get this woman's money. Once he would get her money, then he would leave her alone. But our adversaries are not just after one thing, but they're after the very thing that makes us who we are as children of God, as disciples of Christ, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They stand opposed to the very essence of who we are and what we are, and they'll never rest until we stop being what we're called to be, until they turn us from being faithful disciples to being worldly people. And uh, until they rob us of all of our riches, of all of our inheritance, of all the things that we hope for. And so, the body of Christ today faces persecution. And these are our brothers and sisters. They're not here in this room, but they're related to us. We love them. Our hearts go out to them. They're one with us. We belong to them. They belong to us. And millions today, believers in Christ, their doors are broken down. They're forced to meet in secret, jobs taken away, people marked for execution, terrible things happening in Sudan, in Vietnam, in Colombia, around the world today. Our brothers and sisters facing persecution. And there are those who would bring it to us as well. We face terrible adversaries. But the adversaries that we face more commonly here are not those who want to break down our doors. They, they follow a more subtle strategy. They follow the strategy of tempting, of enticing, of presenting to us all sorts of wonderful, attractive things other than Christ. The things that fill up our bellies and deaden us, the things that fill up our senses and take away our hunger for spiritual things, the things that draw us away from Christ. And so we face terrible enemies. But the worst enemy we face is the one within, the one within our own home, within our own uh, bosom. And that's the, our own heart that turns away from God and is always with us, always knows what we, what we desire, always knows our thoughts, and is always persistently seeking a way to turn us away from God. Oh, we need God to rescue us from our own hearts. So our case is more desperate than this case of this widow because, uh, because our enemies, our adversaries, are more terrible 
and more numerous than those of this widow. But our situation is also more pathetic. Our case is more pathetic than that of this widow. Because, you know, someone else might step in besides the judge to help this widow. Or even her adversary might just decide to relent and and change his mind about what he's trying to do. Uh, She might get help from some other avenue so that she decides she doesn't even really need this case to, to, to be followed through with after all. But there is no one who is going to stop Satan from controlling his servants to, to do ill to the people of Christ unless God himself steps in and defends them. There is no one who is going to subdue the evil in my heart unless God sends his spirit, unless God sends his word, unless God enlivens me and renews me by the Holy Spirit and gives me new life. So there's no other help that we can look for. Our case is more pathetic than that of this widow and our case is more noble than that of this widow because the highest and best things that we can imagine are at stake in our case. The glory of God. God has set out to rescue a people for himself, a people who are eager to do what is good, who will love him and praise him, who will see his goodness and be filled with love. That's what God is seeking and, uh, and, and our enemies are undermining all of that. And it's God's glory. It's the worship and praise of God. God wants us to see what is best, to desire what is best, to seek what is best, and to get what is best. And our adversaries are working against all of that. It's a noble case, a noble cause that, that, we, that we would, would press. It's a, it's a noble need that we would bring before God's throne. The, the dying cries of Jesus, the agony of Christ for us on the cross, rings in our ears and we can't rest until we bring our case before Christ, before the Lord, before the throne of God, that the blood of the Lamb should purchase all that it was intended to purchase, that everyone who is to, who is to be brought in should be brought in, that the good news should go out to the ends of the earth, that everyone should be invited, that all should be called in and brought into the, to the feast. So we can't rest because our case is so urgent. It's so noble. And it's so good. And it's so pathetic. It's so desperate. You know, an urgent case drives an intercessor. And so I want to tell you a little uh, wintertime winter story here. Uh, actually, it, it takes place in, in, in the summer months, but it takes place at the South Pole. The story of Ernest Shackleton. And uh, he set out from an island down there near Antarctica, South Georgia Island, set out in a ship called the Endurance. And, uh, and he really uh, became an example of endurance and an example of a man who interceded uh, for others. And... Uh, he, he set out with 27 men on this ship and they were going to cross Antarctica. They were going to be the first persons to cross the continent. Of course, they were in a race and someone else actually beat them. They never made it to the continent of, of uh, Antarctica because their ship got caught in the ice. And so it was, it was trapped in the ice. It drifted with the ice as it, as it circulated around in the currents and it moved to this place that's just hundreds of miles from land Finally, the ship was crushed by the ice 
and they were left with nothing but their lifeboats. Uh, they, dra- they tried to drag these across the ice to get somewhere. They couldn't. They just floated on the ice, and, and uh, they were always in danger of, of being uh, you know, drowned until they came in sight of this little island in the middle of nowhere where the ice flows of Antarctica are always surrounding it, and they saw that island. They got into their little lifeboats, and they made for it. It took them seven days to finally get to it amid all these ice flows that would have crushed their, their little boats like toys. And they made it to Elephant Island, a little island south of South America. A few days later, Ernest Shackleton set off in one of those lifeboats, a 23-foot boat, together with four other guys, and he sailed 800 miles to bring news that there were men on Elephant Island who needed rescue. And so it was a miraculous journey. It was, it was a, a, a true feat of seamanship that they were able to reach you know, across 800 miles, the worst seas in the world, that they were able to reach and navigate and find South Georgia Island where there were some whaling stations. And so they, uh, they got there and they, the people organized a ship they traveled toward Elephant Island. They couldn't get within 100 miles of it because of ice. So four times, Ernest Shackleton pled with sea captains, with governments, with government officials, with rich people, with donors, with anyone he could find, with ambassadors, anyone who could help him to press his case that there were men, 22 men on Elephant Island waiting to be rescued, and they had to be rescued. It was an urgent case and um, it says it, it said that um, he pressed the case so hard that it it uh, it wore him down. This is what one of his companions said about him on the third attempt to reach Elephant Island. He said the wear and tear of this period was dreadful. To Shackleton, it was little less than maddening. Lines scored themselves on his face more deeply day by day. His thick, dark, wavy hair was becoming silver. He had not a gray hair when we started out to rescue our men the first time. That was in May of 1916. Now on the third journey, he was gray-haired. And that was July. So, four trips. And he persevered. And he kept calling on everyone to help. But he was driven. Oh, are you driven to pray? Are you driven because of the urgent case of the kingdom of God? The urgent need for revival. For, for God to advance His church, to bless His churches, to bless His people, and all the cause of, of spreading the good news of Christ. Are you burdened? Do you sense the tremendous need? Or are you just relaxed and comfortable? Have you already given in to all the temptations? and become senseless because of all the, the distractions around us. So, it, the question is that we have a, a, such an urgent case, but is there any hope that our case will be heard? Do we have any reason to think that God will hear our pleas and answer them? Do we have any, any better hope for God to answer our prayers than this widow had for this, this judge to hear her pleas? And 
yes, we do. We have tremendous reason to trust that God will hear our prayers. Our Lord is more ready to act than this unjust judge. Our God is waiting to hear our prayers. He welcomes our prayers. He desires our prayers. And He's willing and ready to act upon our prayers. Just look at the passage as we, as we go through here. I want to point out some of the differences between this unjust judge and our God. And so, uh, first, when it describes the judge, when Jesus describes the judge, this is what he says about him. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. This judge did not fear God, but our judge is righteous. This judge was not compelled by conscience to do what is right, but our judge, our Lord, is righteous and wants to uphold what is right. He is faithful and true in everything. And it says of this judge that he did not care about men, but our God cares about people. And he cares especially about his own people. And look what Jesus says, he, how he looks at us uh, down in verse 8, that, that we're his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. His chosen ones, his chosen people, a people that God has set his eye upon, that he has set his love upon in a special way. And so, God is loving. What manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And this is what we are. What a wonderful thing to be called God's children. God loves us. And, uh, and so, we, we come to God and we come to Him not alone as this woman came. She, she comes alone before the court, before the judge, without any advocate. But we have an advocate we don't come to God alone, but our advocate is on high at the Father's right hand. And He loves us. And He gave Himself for us. He's the shepherd. He comes for the sheep. And He stands before the, the Father. And He presents His own wounds on our behalf. And pleads His own blood for our salvation and for our protection. So we have an advocate, as this woman did not. And... God is welcoming to us as this judge was not welcoming to the woman. It says that this judge refused to hear her. But our God doesn't refuse. He doesn't bar the way. He doesn't shut us out. Far to the contrary, He urges us. He commands us to come into His presence and pray. So God welcomes us. We don't need to... Uh, to stand afar, we're never shut out from his presence. This judge was bothered by the woman's coming. He said that she's bothering him. But our God delights in our prayers. He loves to have us come. It's his, it's his joy when his people actually see how faithful he is, how true he is, how powerful he is, and recognize that he is able to reward that no one can come to God unless he believes in him and um, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So without faith it is impossible to please God, but by faith we are his delight and he's pleased in us. And this judge gave no assurance, no promise, no indication to the woman that he would hear her prayer. 
But our God gives us such assurances. He gives us promises. Our God is committed to us. He's committed to His cause that He has laid on our hearts, that He has commanded us to to bring before Him. And so we have promises. If, if we, we know that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the things we have asked of Him. 1 John chapter 5. And this judge was only available at certain hours, but our God is available at all times. Day and night. So His, his chosen ones cry out to Him day and night and He hears them. So, if you know that you have one to hear you, one to hear who, who stands for you, and one who, who is on your side, then it empowers you to persevere. And this is how Shackleton's men persevered on Elephant Island. They knew their leader. They called him the boss. And they knew what kind of man he was. And they knew that he had them and their needs in his heart. They knew that he would not rest. They had seen how he had labored all through all of their, their trials, all their difficulties, all of their journey. And they saw that as soon as they were safe on Elephant Island and they could heave a sigh of relief, that immediately his mind was already going to how he was going to get rescue for them. At the risk of his own life, he wouldn't send others, but he went himself on this journey to, to call for help. And so, uh, uh, you know, he took off. They, they bade him farewell. You know, they, they stood on the, on the edge of the island and they waved as the ship, you know, f- went further and further out of sight. The little boat, 23-foot lifeboat that he left in. And they waved and they said farewell. And... Um, Frank Wilde, who was left in command of the, the camp there on Elephant Island, he writes in his journal that he turned and he saw that some of the men were beginning to have tears in their eyes, so he immediately set them to work. And they built stone foundations for a hut, and they took their two remaining lifeboats and turned them upside down on those foundations, and they built a hut, and they insulated it with the old sails from the ship, and they did everything they could to make life livable. So they had organized times and organized schedule. And, uh, you know, Wilde drove the men. He kept them on schedule. They had their hunting expeditions they had to do every day. You know, they had no supplies. So they had no energy food. All they had to eat was whatever bird or seal or thing came near the island that they could hunt and kill and eat. And so they, they became weaker and weaker. Four and a half months they endured on the island. And so, what kept them going, <clears throat> you know, they would gather together at night and they would sing to keep their spirits up. They would have, you know, their sing songs. But what kept them going was that they knew that the boss was out there, that he wouldn't rest, that he wouldn't forget them. And so, we have our Lord Jesus Christ. He has gone ahead and He is preparing the way. He's praying for us. So won't we persevere? Won't we come to Him in prayer? Won't we take advantage of this tremendous opportunity we have? We are called to enter into God's court and to take our place as co-heirs. 
So do we have reason enough to pray? We're not like this widow. Our case is much more urgent. And our judge is not like this judge. He's much more ready to act. Do we have reason enough to pray, to persevere in prayer? Yes, we do. Because of Jesus, we have, we have every reason to keep praying and not give up. So there's nothing to stop us from praying. There's no reason why we should surrender. There's no reason why we should grow weary or tired. But we should continue to persevere. Our judge will hear us, and our case is so urgent we can't stop praying if we see it rightly. And so we have every reason in the world, we have reasons that are abundant to keep praying in Christ. In Christ, we are co-heirs with, with Christ, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's the language that's used in Romans 8. And what it's talking about is it's talking about the kingdom of God. An heir in the ancient world was not someone who waited for his dad to die so he could get all the money, but an heir was someone who shared in the rule of the household together with the owner. And so we're heirs of God. We have a share in God's kingdom. We're co-heirs with Christ. We have a share in Christ's kingdom. And the way that we participate today in God's kingdom is that we enter into His court, into His throne room, and we present before Him matters of importance for His kingdom and for the welfare of His glory and His name and His people whom He has chosen and whom He loves. And we bring these matters before Him and we call upon Him to act. And this is how God has arranged things, that He acts when His people pray. And so God desires us to take our role as co-heirs, to enter into His presence, to participate in the kingdom of the glorious Son of God who reigns in heaven. And He hears our prayers. And we're loved and we're welcomed. Let's come to Him. We have every reason to pray as co-heirs of Christ. And as people who know that God patiently listens to us. Oh, this judge wouldn't listen. He wouldn't take time to hear. But our God patiently listens to us. Listen to, to these words from the book of Exodus. When, when God's people were in slavery, when they were in bondage making bricks in Egypt, they cried out and God heard their prayer because God patiently listens. God patiently takes note of the situations that His people are in. God is careful about His kingdom. He's concerned about the affairs of His people. And He takes them into account to act upon them. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God looks upon us. He's concerned about us. God patiently listens as we come before him and as we pray. We have every reason in Christ 
to continue persevering in prayer. And we can continue to pray because God will bring justice soon for His people who cry out to Him day and night. As Jesus says, God will bring justice quickly for them. So there's a long delay, a call for perseverance, and yet, in the large perspective from eternity, certainly as we will look back, we will see that this age was just a short blip, that our lives were just a short time, so soon passed, so quick, and eternity will be here and will endure forever and ever. And so, certainly Christ is coming quickly. As uh, Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God will come, Christ will come, and it will be soon but we're going to need to persevere. And it will seem like a long time to us that we need to persevere. But when He comes, the, 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 the time of waiting will seem to have been very short. And so it was when Ernest Shackleton reached Elephant Island. It seemed like it had been a short time. Uh, Shackleton's companion says that you know, when he found out that all the men had survived, that he was so relieved. You know, Frank Wilde, the fellow who was left behind in charge, he writes in his journal that he, you know, he very near started blubbing you know, when, when all their trials were over and, and here the ship has come and they're safe and they can go back to civilization and enjoy things again, get out of that terrible mess that they were in, that terrible predicament, that slow death of Elephant Island when Ernest Shackleton had finally reached the island after all of his efforts and he was now there and he found out that not one of his men had died. He put his glasses in their case. He turned to me, his face, showing more emotion than I had ever known it show before. We were all unable to speak. It sounds trite, but years literally seemed to drop from him as he stood before us. There will be a tremendous joy and a tremendous relief when we persevere to the end and when Christ returns. What joy that will be. What relief, what blessing when Christ comes. Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Resolve today that when Christ comes, He will find at least one faithful. If He comes while you still have breath, that He will find at least you full of faith and believing with all the urgency of a great cause and all the trust of a faithful King. God bless you.